Magic is power. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leaving Legacy. My name is Patrick. I am your Legacy Movie Leader. As always, Mr. Jeremy. What's up, my friend? I am doing okay. I've had a long break. Uh, some, some, uh, running through the zoo in Southwest for the kids. And, uh, I'm ready to talk about some magic. Excellent. You, you saw some real-life Savannah lines. We so did. We're going to talk about fictional Savannah lines. That's correct. Well, I don't know how many Savannah lines we're going to talk about tonight, but... Uh, I wish Savannah Lions saw play. That, I feel like it's still a my... good card, right? I, yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, it's, it's been reprinted so many times that there's just so many better options. Like, <laughs> remember when Savannah Lions was, like, a rare, and it was a good rare? And now you have, like, Kithian, which is a uh, Savannah Lion that turns into a Planeswalker. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, Power Creep has kind of left Savannah Lion a bit far behind. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, all right, well, before we get in the episode, you know, as always, we want to let you guys know about Hips to the Coast. We are brought to you by them every Friday. You can check them out for awesome legacy content and more. And also, if you want to support the show, you can visit patreon.com slash legacy. Even a dollar an episode helps us out a bunch. Uh, it's letting us bring you some extra content every week. And uh, we also have some sweet rewards. We have stickers, uh, shout-outs, playmats that are going out this week, and uh, a bunch more. So check it out. Is it in the show notes? Uh, yeah. So, J- so Jerry, you basically designed this entire docket this week. So I'm gonna let you kind of kick it off. And, and what are we, what are we gonna talk about this week? <laughs> we got, we got a lot. So first of all, thanks to everyone on the Facebook group. Uh, it's still in the summer lulls. Not many big tournaments to talk about. Uh, not a whole lot going on. But you guys had lots of great ideas to talk about. So we're not gonna get to everyone's, unfortunately. But we got some, some real sweet ones cherry picked yeah, for you. So, tonight. Some of them were just bad. So some of them were bad. <laughs> So, those ones we're Pat's, not going to do. Pat is not going to do an episode about Doomsday. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm not sorry. We're not doing it. Never happened. I don't, I don't know why you want to listen to Pat talk about Doomsday, because he has no idea how to play Doomsday. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You don't, you don't want to... We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about that at all. Uh, Absolutely not. Anyways. Well, for things we are going to talk about, uh, fresh off the presses, uh, Dominic just actually posted this up. Star City Games bumped up the price of Underground Sea. Yeah, this makes me kind of feel bad that I sold off, like, two of them. But at the same time, like, I don't know how indicative this is of where the price is going to be going in the future. Um, do you think Do you think that they're jumping the gun here or just trying uh, to squeeze the last few dimes out of the format? Based on what they've done for the last three or four times, I would say no, because we see this pattern time and time again, mm-hmm. and it's 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 definitely a bubble. It's just a matter of when the bubble pops. Right. You know, is this the final straw that breaks the camel's back? I don't know. Probably not. Statistically, I would say no. I still think the format has room to run, mm-hmm. but these types of moves aren't the best for the health of the format. Yeah. Um, basically, uh. Star City Games announced that now they are going to be selling their revised Underground Seas for a cool $500. Jeez, that's insane. Granted, that is near mint, and, uh, you know, near mint dual lands are hard to come by. I would say probably 90 to 95% of dual lands do not fall into that category. Um, I think I own maybe three or four near mint dual lands and that's because they're like plateaus or taigas that were <laughs> opened, put in a box and never played again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, finding near mint underground seas, volcanic islands, bayous, the, the dual lands that see a lot of play is very difficult. So th- this isn't to say that 
all underground seeds are going to be $500 from here on out. That's not true. You know, we can still, we still see on TCG player, uh, slate played copies going, you know, 350. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not like the sky is falling and all these, everyone's now priced out of the format to buy your duels now or never get them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's setting the trend. Yeah. Um, cause basically what happens is star city games posts up a price for dual lands Everyone's like, oh, those prices are laughable, and all the cheaper ones start selling out. But now, when stores buy dual lands from players or get them in collections, instead of posting them at the lower price, they kind of post them halfway between what the previous price was and what the Star City Games price is. Mm -hmm. And what you see is this gradual increase in the price of the dual lands. Um, this same exact thing happened, uh, I want to say, what, three or four years ago when Dual Lands made the jump from about $100 to $250. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of just this steady march where Star City Games bumped up the prices. Uh, a couple months later, other retailers started following suit, never really reaching Star City Games' level, but you know, coming within $50 of their prices. Then Star City Games bumps the prices up again, and now all of a sudden the other retailers, it cycle repeats itself, they bump themselves up, and now they're even higher than where Star City Games was before they did the first bump. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of, you know, inflation in front of us in kind of this micro e- ecosystem, which is really interesting and fascinating to learn about. But if you don't have your dual lands, it definitely feels real bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- we all know the prices are going to continue to climb. Um, but what what can you do about it, right? Yeah. I mean, nothing you can do. Um, if anything, it just goes to show, you know, these cards increase in value over time. Never sell reserve list cards. Yeah. Yeah, after I just unloaded a bunch of duels at the at uh, GP Vegas, but um, I, I mean, I... it depends on what you use the money for. Right, that's I mean, true. I wouldn't be unloading dual lands to buy a new TV yeah. or unlo- unloading dual lands to you know build a modern deck mm-hmm. uh, because you're just gonna get more value out of them by holding on to them. Yeah, and again, it's what you consider valuable too. Like sometimes, you know, if you sell out of your stuff because you need to buy a, a refrigerator for your house because you don't have a fridge. That seems pretty valuable rather than holding on to them for a few years for an extra couple hundred bucks, you know? Yeah, or going on a vacation with your family. Exactly, exactly. Make those memories. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you also have down here SCG Atlanta Team Legacy, what to expect. What is what is, what is is this? What's going on here? Ah, yes. Nice, nice little segue that I had lined up that you ruined, Pat. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a little, I've been seeing some Twitter buzz, uh, was talking to a, uh, one Anthony Avitolo on Twitter about it, but basically he was saying, Hey, I drew the short straw. I'm going to S I'm going to SCG Atlanta and I drew the short straw and I have to play legacy, uh, for my team. First of all, how dare you consider that the short straw? No, I, please, please forgive me if I came across as disparaging. Of <laughs> oh, no, I mean this guy who posted this. <laughs> no, I, I'm putting words in his mouth. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, use the idioms, Pat. Of bringing course. back the idioms. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, he doesn't know Legacy at all. You know, he, him and his friends are standard and modern players. Now, you know, that's what they're into. You know, all good for them. They It's what they like to do. But they want to play in this team event, and none of their friends plays Legacy. So he's like, all right, I'll play Legacy. And he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, so I think it's really indicative that there's going to be a lot of people in this situation. 
Um, you know, we always come at it from the side of legacy players, where uh, we're like, oh, we want to play these team events, but where are we ever going to find a standard player? Right. Um, there are just as many standard players out there who are like, oh, I want to do this team event, but where on earth am I going to find a <laughs> legacy player? <laughs> so in, until someone comes up with a Tinder-like app for matching legacy players to standard players, <laughs> um, we're going to run into these types of situations. Oh, I kind of like this idea, a Tinder-like <laughs> app. I we mean, should talk to to John Baxter the third about this, setting up a, <laughs> a a magic Tinder swipe app for matching players with uh, formats. So do you always swipe left on the doomsday person? Yeah, saying? always always swipe left on the doomsday person. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I, I think it's uh, I just wanted to give some solid bullet points. This will probably come across as pretty, mostly remedial to a lot of our listeners, but it's always good to get a refresher on the basics. Of course. Um, so one of his big questions was, you know, he was looking at, uh, magic online results, um, but he's not really sure what to expect for the in real life meta. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how would you describe it, Pat, the difference between MTGO and real life paper pet matchups? Well, it's weird because first of all, they have very different barriers to entry. Like we all know that ports are the most expensive card of magic online. Um, so you'll see a lot, a lot less death and taxes online than you'll see in real life. Um, so the, the, the barrier to entry, the cost of cards is different. So that, I think that does have an effect on the overall metagame. Um, you also see a lot more people who are able to trade in and out of decks on Magic Online that you're not able to do as frequently in paper. So people will play kind of, you'll see a, a much higher concentration of what's quote unquote like the best decks or the tier one decks on Magic Online. Whereas in paper, you're going to see a much wider array of decks, um, you know, people have their pet decks in Legacy, or they just have the deck they play. Like, I play Blue Red Delver, and I'll play it. If it's good, I'll play it. If it's not so good, and everywhere in between. So you'll see that at a large event as well. Um, I would also tend to guess, and this is a complete guess, I haven't seen the other team events they've run and kind of like how those break down as far as the Legacy decks go. Um, but I would imagine that most people are going to play... Um, because legacy players probably, you know, are a little bit harder, more hard to come by. There'll probably be a lot more burn in those matchups. Uh, you might see more like, um, more linear decks there, reanimator strategies, things like that, versus you might not see as much storm or uh, some of those more unusual decks that you may see like at an actual legacy GP where legacy players are coming from very far away to play. I imagine that you'll see a little bit more limited of a meta game there, uh, more linear decks and, uh, just not really indicative of what, not reflective of what you see on Magic Online is my, my guess. Yeah, I'd agree with all those points 100%. Um, like you said, I think that's probably the biggest thing is that the difficulty to, in moving between decks is much higher in paper than uh, Magic Online. Mm -hmm. So you will see Magic Online have a higher concentration of the you know flavor of the month, the Tier 1 decks. Whereas in paper, people will build a deck and they'll play that deck until the day they die if it's a deck that they love. Right. Um, you know, we've seen Shardless Agent go from a Tier 1, one of the best decks in the format, to practically unplayable, to coming back and being a very uh, a very good option. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, where it's at now in this new meta is another matter, but, you know, these decks definitely have a cyclical approach uh, to, you know, where they're positioned in the meta. And in paper, people will play them, you know, through, like, they'll just <laughs> brute force through it. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas on Magic Online, I would definitely say, uh, you know, agree with you that people just switch out if they're if they're not feeling it. Yeah. Um, so because of that, all that diversity, uh, that kind of just brings me to my bet, uh, next point to expect uh, from these sorts of tournaments is 
definitely expect the early rounds, especially in a team uh, tournament like this, to just be the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no preparing. Yeah. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna, you know, put in a hundred matches against the tier one decks, and then you're gonna play against Opulescence round one. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're just gonna run into these random decks, and even as late as turns, you know, uh, rounds like three, four, even five. Um, you know, I've played Charbelcher in like round seven of a tournament. Yeah. <laughs> or like Oops All Spells in round five. Um, you know, sometimes these decks just they rack up the wins, uh everything comes up in their favor and you'll run into them late. Now, mm-hmm. the longer a tournament goes, I would say it starts regressing towards the mean and you'll start seeing more and more of the tier one decks. But it just goes to show, you know, also in Legacy, getting those first two buys at a big tournament are so important for mm-hmm. Legacy more than I would say any other format, just because it gets you closer to the decks that you're prepared for, the decks you have a sideboard plan for, and you're less likely to run into someone playing, like, mono uh, humans uh, in their Legacy tournament. <laughs> it's like, great, Naya humans. Like, I've seen Naya human blitz in a Legacy tournament before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was like, it was like round three in Undefeated, because sometimes just weird decks get there. <laughs> Um, so just basically try and have a good time because if you're going to really focus, uh, in winning the tournament, um, I think you're going to end up putting in more work than you really need to. And Mm -hmm. you're going to feel really frustrated if your first couple rounds are just decks that you did not see coming at all. Yeah. Um, so just come at it, have fun and, you know, hope you get lucky. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, all right. So. We so you have some other things on here. Uh, how to beat control with aggro mid range? Is this something you're ready to get into here? This is a deep topic. There's a lot to talk about here. Yeah, this is real deep, and I think it it changes depending on the meta, changes mm-hmm. on the decks that you're talking about. Because I feel a lot of decks, there's even a debate over what what category uh, it falls into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of wanted to take the uh, the broad strokes approach to it. Okay. Um, I forget who it was who asked this. Yeah, so uh, Marcus Roth kind of wanted to know, uh, how do you beat control when you're not playing control, (laughs) is how I'll uh, I'll paraphrase that. Um, And I kind of like taking a 50,000-foot approach to this, uh, and I would say the answer is different for for both styles, whether you're playing aggro or Mm -hmm. mid-range. So I would say with aggro, the biggest mistake I see aggro players make when they approach the control matchup is over committing to the board mm-hmm. um you know a lot of aggro decks have a real problem refilling their hand after a board wipe uh you know it was always the biggest weakness with merfolk uh with affinity with zoo um you know we don't the, these pure aggro decks have kind of died out in the legacy meta um but they do still pop up from time to time and it's they've really evolved into kind of a tempo strategy but Taking it at its core, at its root, it's just playing into the control player's, you know, hands. If you just load up and empty your hand against the control deck, uh, you have a high chance of just getting completely blown out mm-hmm. with, like, a Supreme Verdict or a Toxic Deluge or a Pernicious Deed. Yep. So, go, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, the interesting thing now is, and probably why this um, topic feels a little bit nebulous, at least to me, is that... For the longest time, at least since I started playing Legacy, um, the best control deck has been, by far and away, like, Miracles, was the Miracles deck. And now mm-hmm. that's not as prevalent. So, like, 
I think the concentration of terminus is significantly less in the format. But you're True. right, there are still there are definitely still cards that can blow you out. And knowing what your opponent is on is so important to knowing like, oh, can I pl- can I keep this three swift spear hand against my bug opponent? Oh, perhaps you know, do they have pernicious deed? That would be really bad against against your three one drops. Um, but you do know, they have a Kozilex return? Right. Uh, do they have? Yeah, you know, there's still a lot. You know, engineered explosives. Right. You know, just because there isn't terminus in the format doesn't mean that card advantage sweepers aren't. You know, that's what control wants to right. do against the aggro deck right. is just get on board advantage. But I mean, also what I would also say too is that like the problem, one of the issues with terminus was that. They could time it pretty much whenever they wanted to, and it was extremely mana efficient for them. Whereas some mm. of these other board sweepers that we're playing against now are not nearly as mana efficient, and it's more difficult for them to set it up exactly when they want it. So um, th- there is that to, to consider. Um, right. But I think you're right. I think the the very basics of beating a, um, an, a control deck as the aggro or mid-range deck is knowing kind of your position in the game. Um, and there are always times where it's... It's you need to overextend because you need to close out the game before they're able to lock you out, uh, which Miracles was obviously able to do with the with the countertop lock. But other other decks can do that too. Um, you know, I, I would consider like some prison decks almost like control style decks, and there is a point where you need to commit to the board and just make your alpha strike before they're able to lock you out with a Trinisphere or lock you out with an additional Chalice. Um, you know, assuming that you're able to either counter their first or remove it somehow. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and it's it's also it's about recognizing, like you said, the board position mm-hmm. and not overcommitting for stupid reasons. So right. like you said, the biggest reason why Terminus was so annoying and so difficult to play around is because it was basically instant speed for one white mana. Right. The you know cost was so low. Without Terminus, Terminus, there are still sweepers, but they're much harder to get off. You know, Engineered Explosives is usually going to cost around four to five mana most times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Pernicious Deed cat with casting cost plus activation is probably going to be five mana. Toxic Deluge is three mana and a bunch of life and sorcery speed. Um, you know, Supreme Verdict is four mana. So it's harder for the control decks to get it off, which just means it's that much easier for the aggro player to play around it and that much more embarrassing when the aggro player plays into it. Right. Um, and I would also say, just like like you said, recognizing the board state, recognizing the game position, you would not believe the number of times I see people, you know, they have a, uh, they have two Tarmogoyfs in play, the Tarmogoyfs are four fives, and their opponent is on eight life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they, they say they were on 16 before, they attack with the Tarmogoyfs, put them down to eight, and they're like, okay, I play Delver of Secrets, go. Right. Why Why did you play that Delver of Secrets? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it was in my hand. I could play it. It's like, you already have lethal on board. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no reason for you to deploy the Delver of Secrets uh, into play. It's just going to be that much more likely to get caught up in a sweeper. Um, you know, it obviously it's going to be case dependent. There are going to be cases where that is the right play. Mm-hmm. But if uh, nine times out of ten when you're playing against that, if you have lethal on board, you know, you have a removal spell lined up for any blockers they may play, you know, don't just play creatures just to play them. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure you have something in reserve so if your opponent top decks a uh, uh, Toxic Deluge and Toxic Deluge is for five, putting them on one, you can then the very next turn play that Delver of Secrets and beat their face. Mm-hmm. So I think with aggro it's just, you know, 
don't just go, you know, balls to the wall all the time. Right. Um, you know when it's appropriate to hold back and not deploy creatures, hold them in play in hand, wait for that sweeper to come, and then just empty your hands uh, to finish your opponent off. Yep. 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 Uh, Mid range, I would say, has the exact opposite problem. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it really just comes down to knowing who the beatdown is. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's a uh, it's a Mike Florence article, the OG who's the beatdown. Oh right, yeah, we can. I'll link that in the show notes for people in case they haven't read it yet. Yeah, I mean it's considered one of the greatest magic articles of all time. It was written back in the '90s, um, and it's just basically one of the most simple yet uh, you know level up experience for any magic player is recognizing who the beatdown is. Mm-hmm. And I would say most mid-range players, when I see them make mistakes against control decks, it's because they've lost track of who the beatdown is. Um, they try and out-control the control player. And that's exactly what the control deck wants you to do. It wants you to think that you can compete on their axis, and then they just go over the top. So, you know, if you're a mid-range deck, uh, and you're playing against a control deck, and you keep a hand of counter spells and cantrips... You know, what are you doing? You're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Um, you're going to exhaust your, your cantrips, your uh, your counter magic, and the uh, control player is going to do the same, but the control player is just going to have that much further reach late game, uh, be able to use their mana more efficiently late game, have more, you know, better mana sinks. Uh, just kind of all the bullet points that control decks excel at, they're just going to be able to do it better than you late game. So you can't spin your tires uh, as a mid-range deck against a control deck. You really have to get aggressive in their face. Mm-hmm. I know I know you don't really play much mid-range, Pat. <laughs> I played a little Grixis Delver, and I played a little Bug Delver in my day. All right. Yeah. What, what would you say your experience is? You know, what, what would frustrate you with control? Um, so... I guess, like, there is a point where even a mid-range deck is going to be out card advantage by a, 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 a typical control deck, um, and you don't really possess the ability to go aggro. I mean, I guess, like, Grixis has access to Gurmag Angler, which is a nice kind of, like, aggro, like a, like a nice aggressive creature, because uh, you're only paying one for it pretty early in the game, but um, it never felt like you had the ability to... Um, to to go ham on your opponent. I guess like the, the the toughest thing in that in those matchups, I think, is like I think in the in the aggro deck versus the mirror, versus the control deck, it's a little bit more clear cut. But the mid range versus the control deck is a little. I think it's a little more. There's more gray areas there. Yeah, sense. I mean, I, I feel that line has especially been blurred with the lack of miracles. Mm-hmm. You know, miracles was a cold. Hardline control deck. Mm-hmm. Um, now the control decks we're seeing, there's a, not a lot of difference between them and the mid range decks, uh, and you're seeing a lot of just the top end mid range decks become the default control deck. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I definitely think in you know this area, it, it's going to be more case to the you know dependent, which means you know recognizing who the beatdown is and just being able to have that skill in your repertoire is just that much more important. Yep. You know. Sometimes you are going to be the control deck. You're playing against another mid-range deck, and you're a little bit bigger than them, and you need to recognize that you are the control deck in that in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm just going to go back and reread uh, that article because it, it is always just good to get a refresher on it, yeah, just absolutely. being able to get it get in that mindset. Yeah, I'll definitely link it in the show notes as well, so you can see that. I've I read it. 
I read it when I first came back to Magic uh, a few years ago, and it's something that I'm that I'll definitely take a look at. Written on the on the dojo, which is like the old school. <laughs> That's like before there were websites. There were like web pages. Yeah, the Magic community, <laughs> the dojo. So awesome. Uh, so yeah, ni- January first, nineteen ninety nine. But that's when Star City Games posted it. This may have been before Star oh, City yeah. Games. Yeah, before, Star City before Games that, just... rather. Wow. Yeah. Lost to time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, I like how it's also signs Mike Flores Cabal Rogue. <laughs> <laughs> Team Discovery <laughs> Channel. So nineties. <90s. laughs> I wonder if he uses still uses that old email address. <laughs> I'm going to send it an email. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's also a good refresher for the people going to SCG Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, rely on your fundamentals. If you're going to recommend, recommend a deck, Jerry, let's say someone has access to every card in Legacy. They don't play much Legacy. They don't know much about the metagame, but they're a competent Magic player. What do you recommend them to play? Well, define competent. Like, are they competent in their, like, analytical skills as in they are able to make good decisions when cantripping? Or are they competent in that, you know, they don't miss triggers, they, you know, play tight? Yes, fundamentally. Let's say they're fundamentally a good good magic player. Like, they, you know, they... Just like your standard F&M grinder, say. Um, I would tell them to run, like, bug uh, mid-range, like, almost Team America. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, Tarmogoyfs, Delver of Secrets, Force of Wills, Thought Seizes, Leovolds, Liliana's, maybe some Jaces. Um, just because I feel the bug mid-rangey to the bug Delverless, uh, you know, either flavor of them, depending on their particular play style, um, is probably going to reward a good Magic player more than most. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the deck's very linear, its play style is similar to how other decks will play out in any format, and you have access to, you know, some of the most powerful cards in the format. Okay. You know, you get Force of Wills, you get Jaces, uh, you know... Anyone can turn Tarmogoy for Delver's Secret sideways, so it doesn't require that much strategy, but it will give you enough interaction with your opponent and enough play mm-hmm. that you'll be able to take down pretty much anyone you come against if you're able to outplay them. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Sounds good. So, you know, the price range of that might put it out of op- out of your, your right. options. Right. I'm just saying, like, completely hypothetical, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say... For someone who's just generally good at magic, uh, the bug mid-range decks uh, will probably do them best. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, all right. We got our next topic, Pat. Oh, boy. You ready for that? This is going to be a Jerry hot all take. Right, I'm going to let you go with it, man. I, I think I need to refill my mint julep before we go into this. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> all right, I'm back. All right. You can add in, like, the Jacques Cousteau, one eternity later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, SpongeBob reference for (laughs) y'all. All All right, now I got my mint julep refilled. All right. We might get some hate for this one, Pat. That's fine. I like it. It's a very divisive issue. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'm going to read the header here, and then I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go for this. This Uh, Well, first... So who brought this, this topic up, Jerry? Uh, so Marcus Allystock uh, wanted to talk about this. Uh, what about the constant hate uh, for Sneak and Show? It seems like <laughs> I'm always hearing people bitch about that deck. <laughs> I know, Marcus. Me too. I feel you, bro. <laughs> um, 
I think I think there's a lot there's a lot in this. Are, are we ready to unpack this, Pat? You, you refresh you refresh your drink too. <laughs> Jerry, I don't need a drink. I have two kids. That means you need two drinks. That's true. <laughs> um. So yeah. So I'll, the the only thing I have to say about this is that I I don't know, man. I don't get people being um, exclusionary, people being salty, or having just like this kind of negative demeanor attitude towards other people in the format, man. I don't know. I To me, it's just a game, and pe- everyone wants to play their own game. If you want to play Dredge, awesome. You want to play Mantalus, <laughs> or Mantalus Dredge, great. If you want to play Oops All Spells, great. Like, I just like people playing in the format. Like, yeah, it's not always fun to lose to those decks, and sometimes you kind of feel like, oh, that, that sort of sucks, but, I mean, what the fuck? Like, how much of your personal wor- self-worth are you putting into this game, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I think you hit it right on the head, Pat. You know, that was kind of just the first uh, point I wanted to hit on was just be adults, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yes, we play a children's card game, but we don't have to act like children here. Um, and, you know, that's not to say you can't dislike decks. You know, no one's saying that. I hate death and taxes. I fucking hate that deck. <laughs> I never want to play against it. <laughs> but I will never disparage someone for playing death and taxes other than, like, a close friend like John Kerman. John, stop playing death and taxes. You're better than that. <laughs> but I do that because me and John are close. Right. And, you know, I know, I know we can, uh, you know... It can come off as confusing, especially on an internet setting. You know, you see one person ribbing another person, and then that person decides they want to jump in, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's like, oh, taken from a complete stranger that I just know through the internet, uh, this can come across as a lot meaner and more, you know, aggressive than it really is. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, there is certainly uh, an aspect of that where. You know, people just hate a deck so much that they transpose that hatred onto the player itself. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason why you should, you know, call someone stupid because of their deck choice. Or, you know, you should make judgments about that person. You know, I fucking hate that we're even having to talk about this because it seems like such a childish <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thing to talk about. <laughs> but it, it goes to show, you know, shit happens on the internet uh, and it's, you know, it's easy to get things mistaken. But, you know, try and err on the side of caution. Yeah. Um, you know, calling things like I think probably the elephant in the room everyone everyone always talks about is the proficiency of people in the community of calling show and tell you know show and ape, right? Um, which I, I you know I just don't think is appropriate. Not to mention you know it can come across as kind of racist if you use it in the wrong context. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like, <laughs> like let's let's avoid all confusion, people. Um, but you know, beyond that, I I can see why people don't like sneak and show pat. You know, I I love Sneak and Show. I've accepted Grizzlebrand as my <laughs> lord and savior, and I hope that my fellow Magic players can find the room in their heart to accept <laughs> Grizzlebrand into their heart. You know, maybe we'll go door to door one day. You know, knocking on doors, asking people if they've accepted the Lord. Instead and of handing out Grizzlebrand. copies of the Bible, you hand out like copies of Grizzlebrand. <laughs> Curtis will be the uh, event organizer. <laughs> um, but I can definitely see why people dislike sneak and show um and i would say probably one of the biggest reasons why we've seen the recent uptick is the disappearance of the previous most hated deck in the format Mm -hmm. what deck would that be pat uh miracles (laughs) yes (laughs) you know we talked about it with uh with lawrence you know when miracles got banned he felt like this wave of people messaging him saying like oh what are you gonna do now what are you gonna do now and it's just like you associate the player with the deck you know, these things come hand in hand, so it's easy to make those connections. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like Lauren said, he didn't give a fuck. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think with Miracles gone, people have this, you know, what's the boogeyman of the format? What's the deck that, you know, they're going to hate most? Uh, I think a lot of people have shifted from hating Miracles the most to shifting shifting to hating uh, Sneak and Show the most. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not to say there weren't people who hated Sneak and Show beforehand, but I would definitely say that's what is causing this recent surge and uptick of, uh, you know, Sneak and Show hate. Mm-hmm. Deck's good. It wins. People don't like it when they lose, and when they consistently lose to the same deck, they're going to have some ill feelings for it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what I think kind of also lends itself to why Sneak and Show uh, gets a lot of hatred, is Sneak and Show, more than a lot of other decks in the format, makes your opponent feel helpless. Uh, I, su- I suppose, maybe just because Sneak and Show is such like a a large percentage of the other decks, like like Moon Stompy or just, like Chalice decks in general, I feel like are pretty feel bad decks to play against. Um, Dredge decks kind of feel bad to play against, especially if you were uh, silly and didn't pack your side your sideboard hate for the Dredge deck. Then you just mm-hmm. kind of feel like you're going into game two ready to lose as well. Um, oh, definitely. I'm not saying I, Sneak and Show is the only deck that yeah. makes you feel helpless, but I just feel on the scale of I can't do anything, Sneak and Show is pretty high. Yeah, I would. I agree with that. Um, I, I I just think that like there are probably more non-interactive games against Sneak and Show than a lot of other like tier one decks in the format. If that makes sense. Right, because it's a tier one deck that makes your opponent feel helpless. A lot of people don't like it. Right, right. But the, I you mean, know, com- the same thing we said for like I don't particularly like playing against Chalice decks, but you know it's 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 a deck in the format, and I don't I don't think it takes a lot of skill to uh, play Ancient Tomb turn one and play Chalice for one. I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think that's a skill that we need to talk about, you know? Right. Right. And it, it's just, when people feel this way, like, everyone has had to have had this feeling. Like, you cannot have entered into a Legacy tournament and not experience this at least once. Mm-hmm. You know, playing against Storm, and they turn zero you when you don't have Force of Will in your hands. Right. Um, or you play against Manalist Dredge, and they dump their graveyard into or their library into their graveyard on turn two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know these things happen. It's a terrible feeling. We've all felt it. You know, there's nothing worse playing a strategy game and just watching your strategy crumble to ash before your eyes because you don't get to do anything. Mm-hmm. And you know, when people feel helpless, it's definitely an emotional response, and I think that leads to anger, which leads to hate. Which leads to the dark side, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I, again, I don't. I think people get a little bit too carried away and a little bit too salty. And I think that there are some communities that sort of uh, encourage that. Insular communities that encourage that kind of behavior. But that's not what we're about on the show. That's not what we're about on the page. So, uh, if you don't have something nice to say, you can keep it to your goddamn self. <laughs> or Pat will show up to your house and body slam. You. No, I'll just. I'll just. I'll just. I'll permit. <laughs> Permaban you from the group and not think about it again. <laughs> uh, I'm actually surprised of how I, I think we our our ban list is incredibly small. I yes. think it's actually one name. Yes, <laughs> and I I think that people on the page are generally pretty good. And honestly, like, I'll, what what should be said as well is that sometimes when people are coming off as catty or or trying to be funny, it's very difficult to recognize that uh, in a typed medium versus being like face to face with somebody. So. Uh, you can take all that with a grain of salt as well. It's hard to, like Aaron is a great example of someone who's very sarcastic and there's a lot of says a lot of things tongue in cheek, but it doesn't always come across that way uh, when you're reading it. So there's something to be said for that as well. Mm-hmm. Just be nice Absolutely. to people, man. It's so much easier. To be, it's so much easier to be nice to people and just be cordial and not be an asshole. Yeah. 
One more point of contention about this path, though, which I think do has some merit but is is overblown, is people saying that Sneak and Show has no skill. Mm-hmm. So, Sneak and Show is a linear deck in that it wants to do one specific thing and it does that one thing well. Mm-hmm. That's very straightforward. It doesn't have a lot of branches, but that doesn't mean it requires no skill to play. Right. Like... If you look me in the eye and tell me that a deck that runs 10 to 12 cantrips, um, it, you know, including before the band Sensei's Divining Top, mm-hmm. and then has, you know, a complicated combo if you're running the Omnitel version, uh, where it requires getting the right pieces and recognizing which pieces you need at the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, if you tell me that that tech requires no skill, I'm going to laugh in your face. <laughs> um, you know... If, if you don't think a deck that runs eight cantrips and is constantly making a decision every turn, and more de- more than most other decks, it involves reading your opponent, that's one of the most important skills with Sneak and Show, is reading your opponent. Being able to know, now's the time that I need to go off in order to get my combo in in this window, mm-hmm. or now's the time I need to sit on my heels and wait until I get some more protection, I can't go off just yet, or I'm going to try and go off, try and bait out some counter spells in order to go off the next turn with my real combo. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of decisions that come into play and a lot of decisions that have to be made based off of information you get other than just the cards that you can see in play. You know, I feel Sneak and Show more than, you know, similar to a lot of combo decks, it requires a, like a poker mentality of reading your opponent and knowing when it's safe to go off. Mm-hmm. Just because it doesn't involve, you know, a mid-range deck, uh, you know, going off about, you know, ten different decisions with Brainstorm and then dazing a land in order to save it from a wasteland, you know, just because it doesn't have those types of plays doesn't mean it requires no skill. Mm-hmm. You know, this is magic. It's one of the most complicated games that probably any of us play, and every deck, no matter what level, requires at least some level of skill. Yeah, you got to learn how to shuffle the cards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but seriously, seriously, it's like, yes, some decks require more skill than others, but there's no such thing as a no-skill deck in this format. Right, right, I agree. It, you know, in this format, I want to say. Even if, the, even if there was, like, who the fuck cares, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Some people just like going off. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, does Sneak and Show have a lower skill cap than other decks? Yeah. But is that a bad thing? Why do we want every deck to require you writing a thesis in order to pilot it to a top eight? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you want to play nine rounds of magic and not have an aneurysm by the time you reach top eight. So I I think there's room in this world for all types of play styles and all types of, you know, strategy and Mm -hmm. knowing what you want to do when you want to do it. Just let people enjoy things, Pat. I agree. You know, let people like stuff. It's it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you want to go see Wonder Woman? Let's go. <laughs> I did. I, 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 I'm thinking about taking Liam to see uh, Spider Man this week. Ah. Uh, you can come nice. too, Jerry. Can I? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> uh, I have not seen Wonder Woman or Spider Man yet. I want to see both of those. Yeah, I, I'm not too big into Wonder Woman. I don't really like. I don't like the DC universe in general. Just let me like things, Pat. I no, I, but I was going to say, <laughs> but I heard it's a good flick, and I'll probably see it anyway. Uh, That's yes. all. That's all. Um, all right. Anything you wanted to? Anything else you want to talk about before we got into scoops this week? Uh, yeah. Well, there was one more, which I think is okay. actually. 
I think we could probably turn this into a recurring segment because I oh, yeah. like this idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just saw this. Anthony. Yeah, Anthony. Asked about, talk Aubrey about super, super sweet secret sideboard tech in every color for, like, the top three decks. <laughs> so he tried to give us an out by saying, like, the top three decks. But we have to cover super secret awesome sideboard tech in every color. Oh, <laughs> So yeah. that's, like, 15... That's like 15, 15 combinations. We're not going to get to everything today. We're not. What I'm going right. to change this let's, to is... Let's do this. Let's do this. Jerry, what is your favorite spicy sideboard card that you've run lately? Well, I was going to say, what are the sideboard cards that you should be running? Hmm. Okay, sure. So, uh, I'm just going off the MTG Goldfish, mm-hmm. uh, you know, top three, so... For today, we got Grixis Delver, Four Color Leovold, and Death and Taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I would say for Grixis Delver, um, especially with the way, uh, if you're going to be running into a lot of Grixis Delver for uh, the Mirror Match, is Firemind's Covenant. Oh, tell me what Firemind's Covenant is, because I don't think I know this card. Uh, we talked about it. Are you, a wait, lot. Hold on, I'm sorry. Are you saying this is the deck to play against Grix? This is the card to play against Grix no. Silver. No. Okay. This is a card that you should be playing in your in your sideboard. Of okay, Silver. I see. Fire Covenant. Ah, Fire, not Covenant. Fire, Mines. Fire Covenant. Okay. Ah, yes, we've talked about this card before, actually. Yes. Yeah, Zemet, I believe, is the one yes. who brought it up on the episode yes. he was on a while yeah. ago. Um, I think if you are playing Grixis Delver, this should appear in your sideboard somewhere. <laughs> Um, so it's one black and a red for an instant. Fire Covenant deals X damage divided any way you choose among any number of target creatures where X is equal to the amount of life you pay. Uh, effects that prevent or redirect this damage cannot be used to counter this loss of life. Um, this card is a blowout in the mirror match. And I think that's important for Grixis Delver more than any others, because statistically, it's going to be the deck that's going to run into mirror matches the most mm-hmm. often, with it just be making up the vast bulk uh, of the meta. Um, you know, this thing shreds through Delver of Secrets, Young Pyromancer, uh, Deathrite Shaman, uh, plus just any creature deck. You know, Legacy is a format of creatures with two toughness mm-hmm. or less. Uh, and just being able to trade some life to just instant speed, pick off your opponent's entire board, is just too valuable to pass mm-hmm. up. So, I'm choosing Fire Covenant as my sideboard <laughs> pick for Grixis. I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> what about you, Pat? You got a, you got a sideboard pick for, oh, uh, for Grixis, Grixis Delver? Particular, honestly, I know this is running a lot of decks. One of my favorite cards to run in, Grix, in, in Grixis' sideboard was Dread of Night. Really like Ooh, that card. That is yeah, a good that choice. is. You see that a lot um, in some decks. I'm uh, sorry, some of the uh, the Grixis decks. But it's a single black for an enchantment, and white creatures get minus one, minus one. Um, because it seems like decks like um, like the uh, the uh, sorry the death and taxes decks can be a little difficult uh, for Grixis. So I like that in the sideboard. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm gonna skip over four color Leovold because I'm realizing it's it's pretty mm-hmm. similar. To Grixis Delver. Let's get let's get some people some sure. variety. Uh, up next, we got Death and Taxes. Like this. Uh, I like I said, I don't. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Death and Death and Taxes is good stuff. 
Um, what would you say, kind of Pat is is a card? You know, I don't know how how much white have you ever played? I have Pat? cast exactly zero white spells in Legacy. Zero white. One hundred percent zero white All spells. Right. So any any input? I have no input, <laughs> but I do like the Singleton Absolute Law on the sideboard of this from Urza's Saga. All creatures gain protection from red. It's an enchantment for one and a white. That seems good. Oh, that's. Are you looking at a just a sample, a sample at? death and taxes deck from uh from Goldfish? Yeah. Oh, okay, nice. Um, I don't think I've ever seen uh that. Run yeah, before. it might not be any good. I mean, maybe there's a there's a lot of burn I mean, on on Moto, or maybe they're just concerned about like with the like number of uh, Grixis Delver decks. Maybe they're trying to protect their protect Mom from Lightning Bolt, and since Grixis doesn't have a yeah. real good way of removing enchantments, maybe that's their their idea? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually take that back a little bit because I see, I think I remember people playing this when Goblins was a, was a bigger part of the oh, format. Okay. Um, but yeah, the more I think about it, this actually does work really well uh, for Death and Taxes. I know as a Sneak and Show player, I'm going to dread Absolute Law because I lean really heavily on cards uh, like Sudden Shock, uh, Grim Lavamancer, Pyroclasm... Uh, luckily, Kozilek's Return gets around Absolute Law, because Kozilek's Return is colorless. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there are just a lot of removal spells that uh, that are red. Yes, yes, there are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I like nice. that, Pat. You stole it from, from this list, but <laughs> it's okay. We'll, we'll give right. it to yeah. you. We'll give it to you. <laughs> uh, my pick, Pat, for Death and Taxes is Palace Jailer. Okay, tell us about Palace Jailer, Jerry. Man, I've been seeing this card pop up more and more. Uh, I think I was at, like, Gaming Etc. tournament when someone played this, and I laughed my ass off, and then I saw it take over the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so, Palace Jail Jailer is two white-white for a 2-2. Two -two. When Palace Jailer enters the battlefield, you become the Monarch. Uh, when Palace ba Jailer enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls until an opponent becomes the Monarch. This card is good in Death mm -hmm. and Taxes. Um, so first of all, becoming the Monarch I feel is way underrated. Mm -hmm. Becoming the Monarch is such. It a really good is ability. pretty good. Drawing an extra card, like the fact that it's not at your next upkeep, it's the it's your end of turn. So you draw an extra card no matter what. This card is essentially no matter what two white white for a two two draw a card when it comes mm -hmm. into play. That's not amazing by legacy standpoints, but the fact that that's the bottom for this card, um, that you're you're only going to see it increase in value from there, uh, I think is is really important to keep in mind. Uh, being the monarch is a very very good mm -hmm. ability, um, and also especially with something like death and taxes, most decks aren't really going to be able to attack into death and taxes and steal that uh, monarch token away. Um, the fact that it's also in the in a sideboard card um, means you're not going to bring it in against the aggro decks that are just going to steal the monarch ability mm -hmm. away from you. You're going to bring it in against the decks that aren't going to have that option, whether they be combo decks where once they attack you, you're dead anyways, so it doesn't matter, um, or you know more controlling decks that don't really have as many creatures or have creatures that you can answer. Um, so you're pretty much going to stay the Monarch for the rest of the game, which means you're drawing an extra card, which, you know, as we said, from a creature-based aggro deck perspective, that's how they lose. They run out of cards in hand, and they, they get their board wiped, and they can't deploy any threats. 
being able to consistently draw an extra card is going to keep their hand full, enable them to keep deploying uh, threats and overwhelm their opponent's defenses. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that it's also an O-ring for creatures. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a removal spell! <laughs> like, it comes into play, and it's pretty much a 3-for-1. You get a 2-2, two, two, you get to exile one of your opponent's creatures, and you get to draw a Seems card. Seems good. That's pretty good for four. If you're playing Death and Taxes, I would 100% recommend playing Palace Jailer. In fact, I would say Palace Jailer could probably find homes in a couple other white-based mm-hmm. decks. Um, has to be the right deck, though. I'm not going to go so far as to say just throw that <laughs> throw that sucker and everything. <laughs> uh, anything else you wanted to add to uh, Death uh, and Taxes? No, I think that pretty much covers what I would what I would talk about in that deck. All right. Well, let's move on to another deck that you're in. Oh, nice. I like it. Oh, yeah. I love it. It's a great deck. (laughs) Uh, Any any sideboard choices that you might have? Uh, I know that that I've gotten wrecked a few times with Chain of Vapor. That's been pretty good against me. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I don't think that I really see much out of, of, uh, like, Ad Nauseam against Blue Red Delver that I've seen that's been particularly spicy. Um, but I do like the, I do like the Chain of Vapors they can run. Yeah, Chain of Vapors is a good card. Uh, you have to be careful though, and remember that it can be bounced back mm-hmm. at you. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, there there are times when I have got an opponent who just forget that Chain of Vapors has the option to sack mm-hmm. a land. Mm-hmm. And send they it think right of it as like more like a vapor snag. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um. My pick, I'm realizing, is actually kind of probably more for tests, but also works in ad nauseum tendrils, is uh, I'm going with Sudden Shock. Okay. Love me some Sudden Shock uh, from the Sneak and Show mm-hmm. sideboard. Uh, I think it should probably see play uh, in the Storm decks as well. Uh, because So first of all, it's two mana, uh, so it gets over things like Chalice of the Void. Um, it is able to kill a lot of the problem creatures, um, namely mm-hmm. Thalia. Um, and it's just, being split second is just so good. Just being able to kill, kill a creature at instant speed um, and not be and not have your opponent have anything to say about it uh, just feels so good. Um, it's definitely better in Sneak and Show because you're, you care about a couple more creatures like Contain mm-hmm. Priest. But, you know, we're seeing Watsy... Uh, move in the direction of printing more and more hate bears, more and more creatures with two toughness uh, that ruin these kind of decks day. Um, you know, Sanctum Prelate's another option. Um, so just being able to kill a creature and not have your opponent be able to respond mm-hmm. to it, um, I think is very important. And also the fact that we're seeing uh, the Storm decks cut the green so they're not really able to run Abrupt Decay right. anymore means that they need a you know unanswerable answer. Yep. So, I, I I think uh, sudden shock should, uh, would be a nice spicy addition for the sudden shock. Decks. Is sweet. It is sweet. <laughs> like this mint julep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. We did three. We said we three's were going to do three. Yeah, three's good. That's good. That's a good number. Three's good. All right. You're gonna have to study up, Pat. Yeah, I wasn't, re- wasn't ready time. for this. <laughs> I didn't gotta <laughs> spring it on you. No, it's good though. It's I like I like we can have our little recurring segment with that. That's fun. 
Yeah. I can't wait until we get to number eight. Moving up the ranks, number eight is the uh, Bob Hong uh, White Yeah, Black that's, been, that's been making a name for itself, huh? A while ago. Yeah. Uh, up to 3.16% of it's the It's all Bob playing, by the way. <laughs> uh, it's mostly uh, it's, it's mostly Bob. Bob. <laughs> I see three other names here besides like Bob's. Fifty, it's fifty yeah. percent Bob. <laughs> Bob's been putting up results. Hey, you know, he gets it done. Uh, I see he's he's moved Iona to the to the main deck. Has he? Yeah, that's hmm. interesting. I still don't like the unburial rights. I don't know what you're doing, Bob. You <laughs> Explain to yourself, Bob. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm gonna have to corner him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he, he might not be too happy with him. I was giving him shit about Bitcoin oh, the other day. <laughs> <laughs> you made a mistake, Bob, and oh, now you have geez. to live with it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm going to have to talk to him. I still think green would be a better option for life for the loan. <laughs> but what do I know? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about this deck. <laughs> always, always hopeful, Pat. Thanks for your input. I, Where would I, I bring the... Uh... <laughs> Bring I bring the tech. Heat. I bring the tech, man. Uh, what else we got? We got we got kind of a short. End. I thought we were going to talk for so long, but we flew. We through did, these yeah, questions. for sure. We'll we'll have a longer episode next week uh, when we talk about vintage. Yeah. Oh yeah, Mark Kubik is yeah, going to join us. It'll be uh, just Jerry and Mark. I'll be taking the night off. I'm just Why? I'm just <laughs> okay, like we're, we're doing this together, Pat. <laughs> I don't really care about vintage that much, but people do like. We're holding like hands vintage, and so we'll talk about it. We're holding hands and jumping into the vintage <laughs> event. Ew. <laughs> 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 uh, all right, we got scoops. Yeah. Um, who are you gonna scoop in this week, Jerry? Uh, well, I want to scoop in Liz. Uh, you know, basking mm-hmm. Rootwalla. Uh. Uh, what is it? Basking Bazaar yes. is her online mm-hmm. shop. Uh, help me finish my play set of Foil Force nice. Wills. I'm blinged out, Pat. <laughs> I'm all blinged out. Very nice. <laughs> so, thanks very much for helping Should me. Should be Japanese. Those. I can. But yeah, sorry, guys. Sorry, I'll, I'll work on that. You suck. <laughs> get, get those Japanese foils. <laughs> Uh, what about you, uh, Well, this week I wanted to scoop in all of our awesome uh, uh, patron, all of our awesome Patreon supporters. Um, I did have the list pulled up here real quick. Um, just want to run down the list. Anthony Aguilar, Andrew Campbell, Aaron Kazaniga, a uh, friend of ours, Heiko Luckman, Ilobmert, Joseph Blackman, Ian Seedfeld, Nate Hooker, Kevin McGrath, Tom Smiley, Andrew McDougal, Chris Semich, Jasper Birch, Cole Van Cedars, Michael... Mark Kubiak, John Celso, Nick Maggior, Justin Newman, Seward Zjarnik, and Michael Ames. Thank you so much for supporting the show. It really means a lot to us. Uh, we love having all of you in our uh, in our little Patreon family, and uh, we hope to add more of you to that. If you need to find out where you can do that, just go to patreon.com slash legacy. Yeah, yeah, support. Uh, so Jerry and I are working on some, some extra things we're going to do. Um, maybe a, f- a couple deck techs, a few like mini episodes that are kind of Patreon driven. That will, I think, the idea is to release them to Patreon first, and then after a while we can we can release them on the uh, the normal RSS feed. Does that make sense? Or or put them right on the Facebook page? 
Yeah, well, I think it's important to say, you know, we're not going to be doing any exclusive episodes yeah. of Leaving a Legacy Behind a Paywall. This is going to be just bonus stuff like uh, recording of us getting on Magic Online with someone and, you know, going through the yep. bases with them. Maybe do a league, uh, record and post it up for other people yeah, to absolutely. enjoy. Absolutely. Uh, and at the $5,000 mark, I promised I would fly out to you and rock you to sleep <laughs> while reading the reserve list in a soothing voice. I am on record as saying that, so if anyone should choose to do that, by all I mean, means, who I'll wouldn't, do it. Who wouldn't want that, right? <laughs> uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll do it for myself. <laughs> oh, ancestral recall. <laughs> uh, Black Lotus. Oh man, Phalar elves. Oh. Fine art. <laughs> you might want to work on the pronunciations first. <laughs> I work. <laughs> no, that's part of the charm. <laughs> Have you played much uh, Legacy lately? I meant to ask you. Uh, no, I have. Well, actually, no sanction, but I played a shit ton oh, this nice. weekend. Yeah, I uh, went out to Cape Cod with my friend Dan. Uh, he's been on the mm-hmm. cast many times. Um, so we jammed a bunch of Legacy. Uh, I was on Esper, so I've been playing that lately. Esper with Lingering yep. Souls. I've uh, been loving the deck. Uh, we probably played like 12 matches until like 3 in the morning <laughs> at the at his uh, Cape House. Nice. <laughs> Which, 12 mag- matches of back-to-back Esper vs. Pox. Let me tell you, that's some fun. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, what we found is... I was losing on the play and winning on the draw, even when I mulliganed on oh, the draw. Okay, why? <laughs> so I, so I mean, against Pox, definitely drawing the extra card is important um, because Pox is all about going one for one sure. resources. But it was just surprising that even when I mulliganed on the draw, I was still, uh, you know, more favored than playing on the play. I don't know if it's the way like the decks. Uh, you know, curves line up and how we curve out, uh, you know, favors it for me mm-hmm. going second. I can't imagine why that would be <laughs> the case. But, I mean, after like 12 matches, you know, pre-board and sideboard, uh, it just, you know, it, it, would, it blew my mind how consistent it was that I was winning on the draw and mm-hmm. losing on the play. So... I don't know. I mean, it was definitely interesting to get in. I don't know how much pox I'm going to run into into a tournament. <laughs> but now that I have that knowledge, I may choose to draw. Nice. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, it was fun because uh, Dan uh, had his coworker mm-hmm. come. And his coworker, Josh, just got into like, Magic. Like, just, just got into Magic? Like, I would say probably three nice. months ago, he was playing, like, from Walmart oh, Magic six. 6. Like, pre-con. And then Dan was like, oh, you, you play this? Yeah, I, I play this. Let me let me tell you a few things. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan said that, like, their, uh, like, office mailbox has just had a constant stream of padded envelopes be delivered <laughs> for him. <laughs> so now he has, like, modern aristocrats put together. Um, and, like, he, he's like hook line and sinker oh, on sick. magic he's like yep this is awesome and now at the after uh you know cape cod he's like i kind of want to build a legacy nice <laughs> it's like three months ago you were playing like a walmart pre-con deck <laughs> now you're talking about building elves <laughs> that is awesome um 
Yeah, so it was it was fun having him there and just like getting to you know see magic through. And yeah, absolutely. Eyes. And that's kind of the spot where we all want to be, right? So I'm gonna add Josh in for the scoop. In Hell yeah! Too. Nice. All right, are you rolling a die this week or what? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can roll a die. Eleven. All right, eleven. Anthony Aguilar, cavalry folk, Tengar <laughs> Man, cavalry. Oh, Tengar Calvary? Oh, good choice, Anthony. This is Anthony's uh, episode. He's come up like yeah. three times today. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, but awesome choice. This is from the Marco Polo okay. soundtrack, which is a great Netflix show. Oh, actually, it's a decent... <laughs> Just got it's downgraded. A good, it's a good right. Netflix show. It's watchable, is what you're saying. It will hold you over in between Game of Thrones. <laughs> which, can we just talk about last week's Game of Thrones? <laughs> Oh, yeah. All right, hold on. Uh, If you haven't watched Game of Thrones yet, uh, you can shut this off um, for the next few minutes. Like 20 (laughs) to 25 minutes. (laughs) How good was Game of Thrones this week? So, it was All right, hold on. Before we get... Can I just say that uh, the very beginning, you know, you have Arya make her comeback, and she's just fucking laying waste to everybody, which is great. I love it. Um... But uh, they're they're getting into the woods scene, you know, where you have the now infamous Ed Sheeran uh, uh, cameo, and they're they're putting the part yes. they're they're in the part in the woods where you just hear the singing, and I, and I said my my brother comes over to watch it with us, his his fiance and my wife, we all watch together on Sundays, and so they're doing they're doing the singing part, and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize Ed Sheeran was in fucking was in Westeros, and then all of a sudden it's Ed Sheeran on the TV, I just started I started screaming <laughs> in my living room. <laughs> Yes, like, so I can see two people, like, there's two sides that people are like, oh, that's fun, yeah, I'm having fun, that's great. I didn't like it because it took me out of the fantasy. Oh, I love it, I loved it, I thought it was great. No, well, first of all, I didn't even recognize him because I don't know who the fuck he did the He did the the song for The Hobbit. No, I know, I know, I know who he is, I just, I just don't know what he looks like other than just some random redheaded kid. Um, So I didn't know what he looks like, but everyone, so I went and watched it at my friend's house and he, like, uh, my friend Mike... Uh, sets up like uh, the TV in mm-hmm. the backyard, so we have like twenty people all nice. in lawn chairs uh, watching it in his backyard. So Ed Sheeran comes on, and everyone starts going, "Oh, look at that!" Oh, I'm like, "What? What, <laughs> what am I missing? What's going on, guys?" Just some dude. So, just some dude, guys. I'm I'm trying to get in. Uh, I thought it was great. Story. It didn't take What's me out of it at all. Guys? If it takes you out of it, I think it's a little bit ridiculous because like they're all actors. They're all known, and and certainly they're all known actors now. Um, so I think if a cameo takes you out of the movie, you're a little bit too into the show and probably need to be taken out of it a little bit. Yes. No, yes. absolutely yes. not. Absolutely not. The there's guy a huge from there's a, there's one of the guys the from uh, uh, fucking Mastodon is in the show. So like, if you're into heavy metal, are you gonna be upset that one of the guitarists from Mastodon is on the show? No. Like, uh, yes, is he an actor? yeah. That's the thing. Like Ed, Sh- Ed Sheeran isn't an actor, though. Like Ed Sheeran was thrown in there. So oh, the guy from Mastodon is not also not an actor, and Ed Sheeran's not an actor, but he was perfectly serviceable. If he was any other extra, because it... he didn't have any lines. His literal, his literal. He has a voice like an angel, Jerry. Was, you will to, not disparage him. Only like this. line was no, not counting the song. His only line was, "Do you like the song? It's a good one. <laughs> it's we so good. How do you not love that?" <laughs> Oh my god! I guarantee they're gonna. Re- he's gonna release that. It's gonna be I his new it single. And when I hear it on the radio, I wish. I wish he had said, "Oh, I've never heard that song out. before." I wish he had just said, "Oh yeah, it's new. You can find it on iTunes." <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, literally, that's what it was like. That's what it was. I don't want that uh, in my TV and movie. I don't want to be fucking shoved consumerism down my throat. You're watching HBO. That's consumerism at its finest. Goddamn. You pay. No, there's no commercials oh, on HBO. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of com- commercials. Uh, I guess. I mean, you're paying directly for the shows to be made, so you're basically. You're supplying the funding for the show to be made. You're supporting the direct art. Uh, art? It's literally. There's exact nothing about opposite. Game of Thrones as art, let's be honest. That's it's not a lie. lie. There is so much. Oh, you are. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Sheeran was a delight to have on the show, and I was thrilled to see him. It was wonderful. Ed Sheeran was a shitty addition <laughs> and should not be. Also, uh, Arya Stark, just complete badass. I love her. She's my, fa- yeah, she's my, fa- she's my Stark... favorite character forever, for a, while, for a long time. Uh, I love the deadpan. So, what brings you to King's Landing? I'm yeah. Kill queen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought that scene was also really important with yes. the soldiers because I'm really interested to see what happens because at the next start of the next episode, two things are going to happen: either it's going to pan across to all these murdered soldiers and are and Arya smiling as she like mm-hmm. cleans her blade, or it's going to be her like waving yeah. them off. Knowing Game of Thrones, I'm going to go with the former yes, more agreed. likely. But I, I felt it was like this real character development moment where Arya can see, you know, just because these are your enemies, they're House Lannister, doesn't mean they're not right. And they people. actually don't even really particularly like the Lannisters. Like in rea- right. in reality, like they're all just pawns in this larger game that that's being played. Yeah. yeah, so I see Arya's path going in two very distinct forks, and it's really dark side, yeah. light side. If she ends up murdering those, these soldiers, it's going to show that she doesn't give a shit. She just wants revenge no matter what, no matter what mm-hmm. the circumstances are. Or if she spares them, it's going to show that, okay, she does still have a soul. She can recognize when she's crossing the line. Right. And and the, but there's far. also, like, there's the argument to be made that there's no reason yet, at least, for her to kill the sh- soldiers. Other than the fact that they're Lannisters, like they they don't present an immediate threat to her. They're very kind and and offer her food and whatever. So, um, but yeah, it's it's been good, man. Or the third option is she's gonna kill Ed Sheeran because he's a fucking <laughs> mop head. I'm glad to welcome you all to Living Legacy. So it's final episode. <laughs> That's my thing. That's my thing. You can't use my thing. Ah. <laughs> uh. All right. Um, the the rest of the show, I felt kind of it. It was just like progressing right. people's storylines. I I can definitely see how some people are disappointed that there wasn't really a lot of action this, in this. Like usually, episode eight or nine has the large battle. That's like the climax of the season. So since there's only seven episodes, like yeah, but, episode six or seven is going to have the climax, and that's just that's part of a good storyline arc for a season. It's not all going to be just crazy action packed, you know. No, but, like, usually there's, like, a sword fight. Like, the only sword fight in the entire episode was Brienne and Roger. Right, right, that's true. Which is the Mastodon, is the Mastodon, uh, player, the, the wildling who has a crush on Brienne. Oh, so funny. Because that, I think, is my favorite. So good, so good. There's so many great (laughs) gifts of her, like, just get, like, like, looking away from him. He's just like, yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Oh we should do. God. We should have a pop culture segment every week because I enjoy talking about pop culture. No, nice. done. Pop culture done. That'll be a Patreon exclusive or a Patreon first post. <laughs> we'll talk about pop culture. Yeah. All right, Jerry. 
Play us out with something. Made it. Did it. Nailed it.